Welcome to the Brain Tumor Podcast with Dr. David Walker. The aim of this podcast is to educate and inform. The information in this podcast is general in nature and is not a substitute for medical advice from your own doctors. Hi, today I want to talk about a very important subject within the field of brain tumors, and that is of glioblastoma and grade 4 astrocytoma. I'm going to explain why it's so important. I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of the classification of these tumours and then talk about the key characteristics of them both, their pathology, clinical features and um, imaging characteristics, and then talk about the key differences that we know about these days. I'm also going to talk about the treatment options, including surgery, radiation and chemotherapy, and then finally um, a little bit about prognosis. It's important to understand the history of classification of these tumours. Originally, uh, glioblastoma multiforme, shortened to GBM, was a term introduced about 100 years ago by a pathologist Bailey and a neurosurgeon Cushing. And the derivation of the name is reasonably straightforward in that it's a a tumour from glial cells, that's the glioma, a glio part of it, Blastoma means a tumor that's very primitive looking, so very de-differentiated. We talk about that in pathology. And multiforme means many different patterns within the histological view. So GBM is often shortened from that term glioblastoma, multiforme, and, and more commonly glioblastoma is the term used. Now, for the last 80 or 90 years, glioblastoma or GBM has been the term that's encompassed both of the tumors we now recognize of GBM and grade 4 astrocytoma. And it's important, therefore, to understand that 20 years ago, um, a glioblastoma may have actually been what we now call an astrocytoma grade 4. And it's only in recent years that the differentiation has been made official, and that's been based on a growing understanding of the genotypic differences and the way they behave that's quite different. But they do look exactly the same under the microscope, and that's why they've been lumped together for all this time. About 25 years ago, it became clear that there were two types of glioblastoma, one that occurred in older adults that occurred out of the blue, basically, and one that occurred in younger adults and may have been a a progression from lower-grade tumours. So that differentiation was being made at that point, and they sometimes were called primary glioblastoma or second and secondary glioblastoma, respectively. The genetic characteristics of these two tumour subtypes were being increasingly recognized and then about five years ago it became official that glioblastoma would be broken into two groups with the key molecular characteristic being identified and that the glioblastoma would be broken up on the basis of a mutation or the presence of a mutation or not in the IDH1 gene. So there were two types of IDH mutant and IDH wild type. So the IDH wild type means that that gene was not mutated and this is a tumor that was previously referred to or as an ID, a primary glioblastoma. And then the glioblastoma IDH mutant was one where there was a mutation in that IDH1 gene, and that was previously referred to as a secondary glioblastoma. Now, in 2021, the classification changed again, and that term glioblastoma is now restricted to tumors that do not have the IDH1 mutation, that is an IDH wild type. And I'll expand on this a little bit later. And then and the term glioblastoma is no longer applied to malignant high-grade astrocytomas with IDH1 mutation. So they're now referred to 
as astrocytoma grade 4. It is confusing, I realise that, but I just wanted to give you some historical context about the, the classifications, and, and it, so it can be confusing. And, and often these days, the term glioblastoma is still applied to those grade 4 astrocytoma tumours. So now I just want to talk about a, a few of the common characteristics of these tumours. And basically they are a high-grade glioma with predominantly astrocytic differentiation, meaning that they come from astrocytes and they look like astrocytes and they still have some characteristics of astrocytes when you're looking under the microscope. But they also feature atypical, meaning distorted nuclear and cell and, and, uh, nuclei and cells. And there's also a high rate of cell division and there's also a typical pattern of proliferation of tiny blood vessels, most likely the presence of necrosis or cell death within the tumour. So these are the histological or pathological characteristics of both glioblastoma and grade 4 astrocytoma. Now they're the most frequent malignant brain tumour in adults and they account for about 15% of all intracranial tumours and also about 50% of primary malignant brain tumours. So they're very common in neurooncology or brain tumour practice and in a brain tumour clinic. In most Western countries, the annual incidence is about three to four cases per 100,000. But they seem to be a little bit less common in other parts of the world, such as Asia and Africa. And whether that's due to a true difference in, in incidence or just a, them being under-recognised in those areas of the world, it's difficult to know. But they are reasonably common uh, in terms of brain tumours, but nowhere near as common, as I've previously mentioned, as other forms of cancer. They can occur at any age as a group. They tend to occur in middle to older adults, and I'll talk about some differences in their age incidence in a little bit. And we do not know any particular cause for these tumours. They often present with a, a variety of symptoms and I've talked about how brain tumours might present in another episode but basically they can cause a variety of symptoms that fall into one of three categories. They're very rarely incidental findings so I'll, I'll leave that category out but amongst the, the three broad categories of presentation are symptoms of raised intracranial pressure that is increased pressure within the, the skull causing headaches and possibly drowsiness and the second broad group of symptoms might be epilepsy or seizures, I should say. It's more correct to say seizures, either a focal seizure just affecting one part of the body or more commonly a generalised seizure, possibly spread from a focal uh, seizure initially. And the third main group of symptoms that malignant glioma, astrocytomas or grade 4 astrocytomas and glioblastomas can cause are focal deficits. And this, of course, depends on where the tumour is so that a tumour, if it's in, around the motor area, it will cause weakness, speech area, speech problems, frontal area, possibly cognitive problems. So they're the main presenting features clinically. The imaging findings are also very similar, or the, the same really, amongst these two uh, overlapping groups of tumours. On a CT scan and MRI scan, they present with a large, not necessarily large, but can be large, mass within the brain. So it's an intrinsic tumour. The tumour is often causing surrounding swelling or edema and therefore mass effects. So the brain was squashed locally and also possibly pushing the brain across to the other side of the skull. The tumour itself often is heterogeneous, meaning that it's not just uniform in, in appearance. There's areas that, and it's irregular in shape. After the a contrast material is given, the tumour is very often uh, lights up with contrast, particularly around its border regions. So there's contrast enhancement and there's frequently central necrosis or the centre part of the tumour is probably has died off because of its rapid growth. 
So they're the characteristics of a high-grade malignant astrocytoma, grade 4, or a glioblastoma. They look very much the same on imaging findings. As well as CT and MRI scans, uh, it's often part of the workup for these patients to get other imaging, such as a PET scan, either an FDG PET or FET PET. Again, I talked about these investigations. And basically, these, invest- these tests show that the tumours are highly active. So there's a high degree of metabolic turnover. The cells are rapidly growing. Uh, they need a lot of nutrients. They le- need glucose to grow. And that will show up as a hot spot on these PET scans. So all of these characteristics are shared between glioblastoma and astrocytoma grade 4. I just want to now talk about the key difference between, or clinical difference between uh, glioblastoma and astrocytoma grade 4. And that is the age of diagnosis. Glioblastoma, the average age of a diagnosis is in the early 60s. And in astrocytoma grade 4, it's in the early 40s. So they occur in younger people, obviously. And it's, it's a key difference that's been previously recognized and probably reflects many factors. So what are the key differences between these two very closely related tumors? The obvious one is that there's a mutation in the IDH1 gene. There's two main IDH1 genes, IDH1 and IDH2. And there is an abnormality in that gene in the astrocytoma grade 4, whereas the gene is normal in glioblastoma. Previously, as I said, IDH wild-type tumors, glioblastomas, that is what are called primary glioblastomas, and astrocytoma grade 4 were called secondary glioblastomas. Astrocytoma grade 4, as I previously mentioned, may have a precursor lesion so that they may develop from either a low-grade or diffuse astrocytoma or an intermediate so-called anaplastic astrocytoma whereas a glioblastoma does not have any identifiable precursor tumor. IDH wild-type tumors are more common and probably make up about 90% of these, uh, these tumors together. So they're about nine or eight or nine or 10 times more common than the astrocytoma grade four. The glioblastoma, they, the male to female ratio is a bit higher in that it's probably around 1.4 times as common as in males compared to females, whereas in the lower grade, uh, the, the astrocytoma astrocytoma grade 4, I should say, there's only a very marginal increase in incidence in males. Often the glioblastoma patients have a very short history of weeks or months, whereas more common to have a longer history, often over a year, of subtle symptoms in patients with astrocytoma grade 4 IDH mutant. I'll talk a bit about survival at the end of this episode. Location, well there is a predominance in the astrocytoma grade 4 for a frontal location. They can occur occur anywhere in the brain, but there is, they're more likely in the frontal area, whereas uh, glioblastoma can occur anywhere within the brain. There are certain uh, characteristic locations, however. The extent of necrosis or cell death within a tumor is higher uh, in the glioblastoma compared to grade 4 astrocytoma. And the key differences are in the genetic makeup. It's common to see these uh, these abnormalities um, compared, uh, well, there's common to see uh, mutations in the tert promoter in glioblastoma compared to astrocytoma grade 4, whereas in astrocytoma grade 4, the majority of them have mutations in the P53 gene, whereas that's uncommon in glioblastoma. Mutations in the ATRX gene are very uncommon in glioblastoma, but occur in about three quarters of uh, astrocytoma grade 4 patients or tumors, and amplification or multiple gene copies of the EGFR, which is epidermal growth factor receptor, uh, occur in about a third of 
glioblastoma patients, but they're very rare in uh, astrocytoma grade 4. And mutations in the P10 gene occur in about a quarter of glioblastoma patients or tumors, but are very rare in IDH mutant astrocytoma grade 4. So there are differences genetically, and that's how the differentiation is being made, as well as the uh, analysis of the IDH1 or IDH genes. So what are the treatment options we, you know, in a person who has these types of tumors? And they're basically the same. There's no real difference between glioblastoma and astrocytoma in terms of treatment options, or broadly at least. The first option is always some form of surgery, whether it be biopsy or resection of the tumor as much as possible. And the reason for this is that whilst we're reasonably confident on imaging grounds to make a diagnosis, we can never be certain enough to, in the great majority of cases, to then offer adjuvant uh, radiation treatment or chemotherapy on the MRI appearance alone. So we do need tissue diagnosis in the great majority of cases. Sometimes biopsy is appropriate, sometimes resection is appropriate. If at all possible, resection is likely to be better for a number of reasons. It reduces the mass effect, so the person's that, that symptoms of raised cranial pressure is less, comma. We get more tissue for diagnosis, which is important, comma. Uh, we reduce the chance of seizures and we reduce neurological deficit. So there are significant advantages of surgical resection on those factors alone. And most likely, although it's difficult to prove, but most likely the outcome, the prognosis is better if resection can be achieved or gross total resection. We talk about gross total resection, meaning we can get out all the tumour that's visible at surgery and on an MRI scan. Surgery can never resect these tumours completely because they invade widely. The cells before diagnosis are already spread throughout the surrounding brain and that's what makes these tumours very challenging to treat. So surgical resection usually attempted first because it has these advantages but biopsy I'm afraid sometimes is the only thing we can offer. When is that the case. Well, firstly, if the person is so elderly and frail and in such poor condition that they may not tolerate an opera- a big operation and their <coughs> outlook is so dire, it's, it would seem that it would be uh, not appropriate to, to put them through that ordeal. It's not really an ordeal, but put them through that process. Sec- secondly, is and this is more common, is that if the tumour is more widespread than, than surgical resection allows, so that if the tumour has already spread from one side of the brain to the other side, and this is a, a common, a not an uncommon situation, a so-called butterfly glioma, where it, on MRI and pathological specimens it looks like a big butterfly, not, not a very pretty butterfly, I would say. But if the tumour is spread so widely that it, it cannot be resected then biopsy is more appropriate and also if the tumor is in very so-called eloquent areas that is in the deep parts of the brain or spreading across and involving critical areas such as the motor strip or speech area and resecting and it would be thought that resecting of these tumours would almost certainly create a severe deficit. So there's no clear-cut reasons sometimes, but they're, they're the sort of factors we use to make a, a guide our decision-making. But surgery, once it's done, whether it be biopsy or resection, is usually just the start of the treatment. And the, if we let's just say a person, relatively young adult, has undergone surgical resection and they've come through really well, the next stage of treatment is 
radiation and chemotherapy. And I'm going to have uh, episodes on this in, in the future. But basically, the standard treatment for these tumours is a six-week course of radiation therapy where they have radiation Monday to Friday and they also have low-dose oral tablet form chemotherapy uh, every day throughout that period. And then every month after the radiation and chemotherapy is completed, they have five days of chemotherapy at a higher dose. So that's a standard uh, protocol and that monthly chemotherapy will usually continue for a minimum of six months. Now there are variations or not on this based on the clinical condition and age of the patient, how they respond to the treatments. Uh, they Sometimes people have bad reactions to chemotherapy for instance, but that's the kind of standard treatment and as I said, I will have uh, more information on future episodes about what radiation entails and what chemotherapy entails. Tumors, these tumors inevitably, unfortunately, will recur and the question is often what are the treatment options when the tumor does recur? Well, firstly, surgery is always thought about again because reoperating and res- further resection can often be done and is often very useful by, again, having the advantages of, of previously discussed and probably improves survival as well, of course. And then there are second-line chemotherapy options, whether it be reintroducing the same chemotherapies previously used at a, maybe at a, with a different regime or thinking about and introducing so-called second-line chemotherapy agents, which, again, I'll talk about in another episode on chemotherapy. Well, what overall is the outlook for these tumours? Unfortunately, they're one of the most deadly forms of brain cancer, of cancer that we know, and it's probably only pancreatic cancer that has a worse outlook. For patients with glioblastoma, undergoing standard therapy, that is surgery, radiation and chemotherapy, the average overall survival is a little over a year probably around 14 to 15 months, which is not very good. For astrocytoma grade 4, it's a little bit better than that, and about two and a half years, so around 30 to 32 months. So overall, it's not a very great outlook for these tumours, and this is why our cells and many other groups around the world are looking for different and, and more effective therapies. But what we've got at the moment is the best we know, and that is surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. That's all I have for this episode. I know it's a bit longer than the previous ones, but it's a very big topic and I really have only scratched the surface. If you want to talk to me, my email address I'll mention in the disclaimer, but please uh, get in touch and and, uh, if you need more information. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Brain Shimmer Podcast with Dr. David Walker. Stay tuned for more episodes and don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. The information in this podcast is general in nature and is not a substitute for the medical advice you get from your own doctors. Dr. David Walker is not able to provide specific information or advice related to your condition or any individual's condition in this podcast. But if you do have suggestions or feedback, send David an email to professordavidwalker at brisbrain.com.au.